You are listening to Holy Words from Holy Cross, the sermon podcast of Holy Cross Evangelical Lutheran Church in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. We hope you find these words a blessing in your daily walk with God. Please visit us on the web at www.holycrossnazareth.org or in person at 696 Johnson Road, Nazareth, Pennsylvania. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Don't be all else to me, save that thou... Would you join me for a word of prayer? Lord, we thank you for the chance to come here and to receive your word, and we are astounded as we receive it in four different readings at the consistency with which you communicate with your people across the centuries, across different countries. As these scriptures were being compiled and written, O Lord, your Spirit guided them. Guide us now that we may receive them with open hearts and minds and not only understand them better, but be transformed by them. We ask it in the name of our Savior Jesus. Amen. So, um, President Ronald Reagan uh, once told a story, I came across it in a book or something, uh, that happened, something happened to him when he was the governor of California. He was asked to do a, a speech in Mexico City. So he was down there and giving the speech, and if you've ever watched how politicians give speech, they have regular pauses so people can applaud, you know, because that's what they're aiming for. And um, he would give his speech, and he was kind of, you know, he was an actor, and he could give it rambunctiously, and, and he was effective. And there was this kind of, every time he'd pause, it'd be a little, eh, yay. And he kept plowing on, and finally he, he sat down, and he thought, oh, I blew it. Well, the next guy gets up, and he starts letting it rip. And uh, he's speaking in Spanish, which the governor does not speak. And he says, Everyone's, every time this guy pauses, people erupt in cheers. And he's like, whoa, he's really knocking it out of the park. So he says to himself, you know, I am going to applaud louder and longer than everyone else, just so I don't feel left out here. And he starts doing that. Till the ambassador to Mexico leans over to him and says, Governor, I wouldn't do that. He's translating your own speech. <laughs> I was impressed that, that uh, President Reagan told that speech because most people, especially politicians, spend a lot of time curating their public image. Now that everybody has social media accounts, this, is, this has gone worldwide, right? Everyone's doing this now. Um, what's the, the song out there, I'm so much cooler online? Most people want to look good and competent and always tell the best stories about themselves and put themselves in the best possible light. And that is because we human beings are status sorters and we're status seekers. It starts at the subconscious level in our brains. Your body right now is receiving so much sensory data that if your subconscious wasn't sorting it out into this is important and that's not, you wouldn't ever be able to focus on anything I'm saying. The sound of the air conditioner, the itch behind your left knee, the tapping of the person on the pew in front of you would drive you so crazy and that you just remembered you had something to do with the laundromat earlier. You know, All that would keep you so distracted you'd never be able to focus yourself. So our brains are designed to put things in hierarchies so we can pay attention. 
And then we do that in our social groups. It's a very natural thing. A couple of years ago, there was a rage to improve um, kids' self-esteem by not keeping score at the t-ball games and soccer games. You know how that worked out? The kids kept score. <laughs> Jaron Lanier, who's this crazy genius polymath um, who's big in the tech industry, he has built and sold multiple companies. He said, I've done this experiment in every company. I go into a department and I ask them to rank each other. Said, and as soon as I pull their own name out of their rank, all the lists agree. Everyone knows who's best at what in every organization. And because we know that, we seek to raise our own status. We seek to promote ourselves. If we didn't do, if we didn't organize ourselves according to status and hierarchy, companies wouldn't work. The military definitely wouldn't work. But there's a problem with this. Is that it only scales in certain types of situations. And apart from that, it has one really dark side to us being status seekers and status sorters is that it keeps us stupid. The scriptures, from beginning to end, encourage us toward humility precisely because humility is the essence of teachability. Now, no matter how competent I get, no matter how smart I am, I am one person with one person's life experience on which to base my decisions and on which to gather what wisdom I can have. I learned a statistic recently from a colleague. His father-in-law is a pastor. He said, I shadowed him for three years because you know what I learned? I, I read in a book, you can learn 30 years of knowledge in three years if you, li- if you learn from someone else. Humility is us recognizing that we don't know everything and we only have our own experience to go on. That's why it's the essence of teachability. In my first uh, parish, I had two contrasting experiences my first year in ministry that, that kind of painted this picture for me. I... Uh, I was coming in from seminary and I had a good spiritual director and he, he warned me, he said, don't come out of seminary like most people do thinking you know everything. You know squat. <laughs> he said, you are so wet behind the ears. Trust that as you go in, you know something. You know a few things they don't know, but they know more than you. And um, we were planning for Easter Sunday. And I picked my hymns for Easter Sunday and gave them to the organist. Well, one of the hymns was 131 in your green book here, Jesus Christ is Risen Today. She came back to me very politely, very concerned, and said, Pastor, you know, that's not very traditional. I said, I've been in, I've served in nine churches before I got here. What do you mean it's not very traditional? This would literally be the only Lutheran church I've ever been in that doesn't sing that song on Easter Sunday. What she meant was it's not traditional here. (laughs) So I learned something about that congregation, but she also learned something from me. That what's traditional here may not be what's traditional everywhere, and what's Lutheran in my corner of the world is not what's Lutheran everywhere. Contrast a little bit with another pastor in town um, Pastor Mark Melhorn was the conservative Baptist pastor up the road from us 
He was born and raised in Allentown right here. Um, that little town I served in for my first church was a coal mining town. Had been suffering economic recession for 30 years when I arrived. Because he had grown up in Allentown during the collapse of the steel industry. He knew exactly how people felt and how to minister to those people. He was he an was amazingly wise pastor. And uh, he took this newbie under his wing and he invited me to a meeting of all the pastors in town. And we were meeting at the Catholic Church that day. And we met once a month and he, he said, uh, and we're, we're all kinds of us gathered. Was, you know, church of God and Assembly of God and Methodist and Anglican and um, a free church group over here. And, and there, this is, there were two Catholic churches in town. One Catholic church and then the Polish Catholic church because they weren't meeting with the rest of them. Um, you know, we were all in this one room. And Pastor Mark says, I wanted to invite you to this meeting when we were holding it at this church. Because the pastor who first invited me to be part of this group 15 years ago was the Catholic priest. And he said, I want you to know I grew up in a church that told me Catholics weren't Christians. And so I came to my first meeting with this group with my dukes up, ready to fight. And then I heard the priest open us in prayer and I thought, maybe I need to cool my jets a little. He said, and after I met with him and prayed with him for four months in a row, I thought to myself, this guy loves Jesus more than I do. What the heck? Maybe I wasn't taught the truth about these folk. He said, and I wanted to tell you that story because we come to this group as committed Christians we all have our own traditions, but we all try to learn from each other and enrich one another. That's the essence of humility. Coming with the belief that somebody knows something more than me and I can only receive what they have as a gift. Every year I go in September to uh, Chicago for my meeting of my prayer society because a quarter of the people in that room will have a PhD in theology and something. If I keep my ears open and my mouth shut for a week, I will learn something. <laughs> something I can bring back and share with all of you. Now, humility has two aspects to it. The emotional and the social. Jesus focuses on the social in his parable because that's the one that hits us in the gut. We walk into a room strutting and someone says, uh, no, over here. Oh, I feel that. I feel it hard. But the emotional side of humility is the work you do before you're ever in that social circumstance. It's the getting honest with yourself that however bright and however much experience I have, I've got one person's experience out of seven billion. I've only got my little wedge and that there's a whole big world out there I have yet to learn about. And coming to someone with humility and allowing them to be their teacher, be your teacher, excuse me, that's such a gift to them. It's disarming in an amazing way. We've all been in that place, I hope, where we've been humbled by someone. I, I uh, was at a youth gathering one time and a pastor with 40 years experience was leading a Bible study with a group of teenagers. He was retired. He was just there because he loved kids. And um, they were, we were doing one of the parables of Jesus. How many times in 40 years do you think he preached on that text? It comes around every three years. You can do the math. <laughs> 
one of the 16 or 17 year olds brought up something that in the parable that she saw there and he goes I never thought of that that's amazing how do you think that young lady felt walking out of that Bible study knowing that she'd seen something in the scriptures that that pastor hadn't after all those years so humility is not only the basis for our learning it's the basis of our community It helps unite us one to another as we seek to mutually learn from and grow together in Christ. It's a wise thing to be humble in relationship to the people around you, but it's an essential thing to be humble in relationship to God because He really does know everything. And if I don't have a teachable spirit, if I'm not humble, I'm repeating the sin of Eden. Or, I don't just want to be in the image of God, I want to be like God. You know, God, I know you've learned a few things, but let me tell you something. Humility is tough. Internal work, but it's harder if we don't do the internal work and get into a social situation and have our head handed to us. And that sometimes happens. Our... Our country is in a very, very difficult time right now. A time when people are having trouble hearing each other and listening to one another. Um, And where especially the voice of God has gotten lost and sometimes deliberately shoved out of the public discourse. In fact, some pundits and sociologists are watching and saying, we are closer to civil war than any time that we have been since the 1800s. In the 1800s, while the great American Civil War that claimed 400,000 American lives was being fought, in 1863, Abraham Lincoln proclaimed a day of national humiliation, fasting, and prayer. And in it, he wrote, in his proclamation, he said this. He said, We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We've grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace. Too proud to pray to the God that made us. We don't want to be like the people Abraham Lincoln was addressing. We want to have the essence of teachability in us. Which is why, just as pride is the birth, gives birth to every other sin, humility gives birth to every other virtue. Without the Word of God, I wouldn't know I was a sinner. I mean, I, my favorite story to tell myself about myself is, I'm doing pretty well. I need a little help, but I'm doing pretty well. I wouldn't know that all my filthy rags, or my, all my righteous deeds are like filthy rags if the Word of God didn't tell me that. I wouldn't recognize my own status-seeking 
Sometimes when I'm out there doing what I think is the right thing to do, that I'm hoping to get recognized for it. But also without the Word of God, if I wouldn't know my sin, I wouldn't know the forgiveness that is available for it. That no one could cancel me, for the Lord of glory has affirmed me, whatever my mistakes And more than that, He has given me His wisdom for the ordering of my life going forward. To have a clean slate and the ability to move forward with greater wisdom. What greater gift could He give us? Would you join me for a word of prayer? Lord, we confess, I confess, that I like to focus on what I know, what I think I know. That I'm too often proud of what I've learned or think I know and that I'm not as teachable as I need to be to truly learn what you have to offer. I thank you, Lord, for your patience with me and ask for your blessing as we, each of us, gather together, unite our community through our humility. I ask you to bless us with increased understanding of one another, of joy in each other's presence, but especially joy in your word, which you have loved us enough to give us so that we can order our lives not only in a way that is pleasing to you, but in a way that is a blessing to ourselves and those around us. Strengthen us in our listening, Lord. Grant us the humility we need. We ask it in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou art. Be thou my best thought in the day and the night. Waking or sleeping, thy presence my life.